This is The Nexus, and I am Art Swift. On this episode, I'll speak with Ted Hessen, immigration and employment reporter at Politico, about what is really happening at the border and with the illegal immigration debate. We'll go beyond the president's talking points and what the Democrats are saying. Also, I'll raise some questions about the ongoing American trade war with China. Like immigration, is this something we can get concrete answers for? And now, the Nexus. Ted Hessen is an employment and immigration reporter at Politico. He's covered some of the most pressing immigration stories of the day, from family separations at the southern border to the president's travel ban. Prior to joining Politico, Ted spent more than a decade as a writer and editor with a focus on immigration policy. His work has appeared in National Journal, The Atlantic, and Vice, among other outlets. Ted is a graduate of the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, as well as Boston College. Ted Hessen, welcome to the Nexus. Thank you for having me. So I'd like to start by saying on the Nexus, we are not aligned with either the right or the left. We look beyond those labels and the talking points that go with them in search of the truth. So I ask you, what is really happening at the southern border? Is there a crisis or not? Are we overwhelmed by undocumented immigrants and asylum seekers, or is this a manageable flow? Well, um, that's a great question. And the first thing I want to say is my view here is from Washington, D.C., uh, where I'm mostly covering the politics and the policy behind immigration. Uh, but we're following very closely what's happening at the border as well. Um, and it's a little bit of both, truthfully. I think President Trump, since he's taken office, has said that there's a crisis at the border. I mean, this actually goes back to before he became uh, president, uh, when he was running for office. So in a way, um, after a while, you know, you know, based on what he had said at the time, um, if you looked at the numbers uh, during Trump's first year in office um, into his second year in office, you wouldn't have said it was an, ex an exception, and you wouldn't have said there was a crisis at the border. Um, we had arrest levels um, that had actually been lower than in previous decades during uh, Trump's first year in office. But in recent months, we've really seen those tick up. And particularly in March, for instance, Border Patrol arrested somewhere around 93,000 people at the southwest border, uh, which actually put the numbers on par with levels in the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. So the higher years of, of immigration at, at the U.S.-Mexico border. So things that sound like objectively are, I hate to say the term getting worse, but they're getting more involved. They're more, there's more volume going on here. That, that would be a fair statement, right? That's right. I mean, just looking at the numbers and the numbers we're using here are the number of arrests by Border Patrol agents uh, along the southwest border. That doesn't exactly tell you how many people are crossing or attempt to cross, but it's kind of a rough metric that's commonly used to determine uh, the, the, the level of traffic of people uh, coming into the U.S. Um, and we saw in March, like I mentioned, that went up to 93,000 people. And it was uh, the highest single month arrest total in more than a decade. So it certainly caught people's attention. And, 
Um, you know, the message that President Trump has been saying for a while that the border is in crisis, um, that there's a huge influx of people coming in, it's more true in recent months than it was previously. Um, and I think what's also important to note is the nature of the people who are being caught at the southwest border. Increasingly, it's families and children. Um, in particular, that 93,000 uh, number I mentioned earlier, the number of people arrested in March, more than half of that were made up of families. Um, and what the Trump administration has argued is that that presents unique challenges and that they need uh, certain housing to, to keep families down at the border, medical care. And now they're also arguing that they need changes to asylum laws so that they can more swiftly, uh, so that they can detain families for longer periods of time and children for longer periods of time and more swiftly remove them. Uh, if they're not eligible for asylum. Um, so I think there's kind of two sides to this. The, the Trump administration at one point is saying that there's a humanitarian issue going on at the border and they need the resources to deal with that. But they're also saying they need the power to quickly remove people who they're finding at the border, even if they are families. And even if they are legitimate asylum seekers? Well, I think um, the, the question is, I don't know if they would say they want to remove legitimate asylum seekers, but there would probably be an argument between the Trump administration and uh, Democrats here on Capitol Hill as to who has a legitimate asylum, asylum claim. Uh, when you hear President Trump talk about asylum seekers or just migrants in general at the border, he's almost always talking about criminals coming into the U.S. And uh, when you heard his previous top Homeland Security officials talk about it. Um, and if you remember, he's on his third Homeland Security chief at this point. <laughs> right. um, but when you heard earlier ones talk about it, they would often say that most people who are approaching the border are fraudulent and that they don't believe that most migrants coming have a valid asylum claim. Um, and, you know, they would frequently push out some st statistics that showed the majority of people um, had been denied asylum claims in recent years, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, there's a split um, amongst people uh, in 2017, for instance, and I don't want to quote the numbers exactly without having them here in front of me, but it was somewhere like 25% of people who presented an asylum claim had a valid claim and were approved, but only something like 40% were actually denied. And the remainder of those cases were resolved in another manner. It's possible that those people applied for another immigration benefit and got it successfully, uh, withdrew their application and decided to leave the country. Um, it's not clear through the statistics. So what we do know is that, um, you know, a percentage, somewhere around 25% are approved, somewhere around 40% were rejected, and the rest were resolved in some other way. We hear a lot about the reason why this increase is going on is because of political unrest, chaos, um, mayhem, you name it, in Central and South American countries, but it seems still vague as to if that's the case or not. What might you know about that? Well, I think um, most people who follow the conditions in these countries would say that there are still major problems there with, with violence, with crime, with corruption, um, with impunity within the government and lack of judicial systems that hold people accountable. Um, you can just turn on the news and, and see some of that or, or a Google search for it. Um, I think, get, you know, getting pinpointing whether it's those conditions driving people north or whether it's the U.S. asylum laws 
uh, that are too permissive that are bringing them here, I think is where some of this debate lies. Uh, the Trump administration has really insisted that it's lax asylum laws that have encouraged people to come from Central American countries. Um, now, the counterpoint to that is that some people will say if that was the case, you'd be seeing people from every poor nation in the U.S., flooding the U.S.-Mexico uh, border. And that's not really the case. Mostly what you're seeing are families from Guatemala, from Honduras, and El Salvador. And what those three countries have in common is that they're experiencing instability from violence, um, from pop, uh, some uh, degree of poverty, and also from governmental instability as well. I mean, is there any movement within the Trump administration, within the government, to try to stop the problems in those countries instead of waiting until folks get to the border? Or is that not, is that a disconnect that still hasn't been resolved yet? The Trump administration actually announced um, about a month ago that they were going to take a really surprising um, position on how to deal with Central America and actually slash several hundred million dollars in funding that was uh, being sent to uh, those Northern Triangle triangle countries I mentioned before, Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador, and actually uh, do a review of, of basically slash the incoming funds for the coming fiscal year and do a review of any already committed funds and see what they could pull back. Um, and their reasoning from that is, I mean, you'd frequently see President Trump tweeting that those countries aren't doing enough to stop the outward flow of migrants across their borders. Um, and it's sort of presented a, uh, an interesting question as to did he really expect that they could close down their own borders and prevent their own citizens from leaving? Um, you know, whether a democratically elected government should be doing that is one question. Um, and then a second question is, if these countries are really in, in such bad shape that people are fleeing, uh, do they really have the resources um, to do that sort of thing? Um, but that's the tack he's taken. And about a month ago, the State Department uh, announced that it would cut uh, about you know several hundred million uh, worth of funds to the three countries. Um, and th there's been criticism for that in that it's counterproductive, that people say that this is money that was going into strengthening democratic institutions. Um, some of it was money that was going into uh, counter narcotics operations. Um, I mean, some of this, these funds were actually spent by the Homeland Security Department and the Justice Department. And I think that's one thing people don't realize. Um, the money that we're talking about, they, they'll call it aid to Central America, but they're not just handing uh, bags of cash to the leaders of the governments of those countries. They're actually, for the most part, paying NGOs, um, U.S. organizations to go down and to work in these countries and to uh, build up their institutions and to strengthen their governments. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's um, so it doesn't sound like and I'm not going to try to put words in your mouth. It doesn't sound like they're doing nothing. I think there's a lot of, that's what I'm trying to get to the heart of what's, what's happening here. It doesn't sound like the humanitarian crisis is being ignored by any means. Um, and it doesn't sound like it's completely vile what's going on <clears throat> in the way the administration's handling the um, asylum seekers either. But there doesn't. There sounds like there's far from any kind of strategic plan as to how to solve this problem in some kind of systematic way. Well, um, you know, from my view as someone who's covering immigration policy, I mean, what I've seen in the last 
two years of the Trump administration is really them throw policy after policy at, uh, you know, trying to stop people from seeking asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. And you know what? They haven't been very successful, at least not judging by the (laughs) metrics that we're looking at. Uh, We're we're seeing rising numbers of people coming to the border. um, And despite kind of every month, sometimes almost on a weekly basis, of rolling out a new creative experimental way um, to try and discourage people from coming. Um, So there is a question of, you know, whether how they're viewing these policies, whether they they think they might succeed in the longer term uh, or perhaps whether they think they have a political value and less of an actual operational value in the field. I mean, you have to remember that uh, for President Trump in particular, immigration is a powerful political message. Um, And whether that translates to actually fewer people coming to the border or fewer people gaining asylum in the U.S., well, certainly that hasn't been borne out yet. Um, but what you can say is that he's wielded, wielded it quite a bit um, on Twitter and as a political message against his opponents. Well, yeah, I think that also gets to the heart of another question that I wanted to tackle is that, is he, and I know you can't read his mind, even though we get so much data from Twitter all the time, but uh, is there a sense that all of this is a show that this is just a way to get reelected or is, or is the administration rigorously working through the courts to try to implement these policies? Is it a little of both? Is it one or the other? I, th- I think you could argue it's a little of both. Uh, I think when you uh, break down, I mean, m- much of this policy is being driven by uh, white house senior advisor, Stephen Miller And Stephen Miller was uh, a former aide to uh, Jeff Sessions, the former attorney general, back when Jeff Sessions was in the Senate. And at the time, Sessions was really the foremost voice on trying to restrict immigration, um, cut down illegal immigration, but also cut levels of legal immigration as well. And uh, Miller has really taken that message to the White House and uh, and carried it out uh, in the Trump administration. And I think, you know, that is partly political. And um, I think that President Trump believes it's it's helped him politically. Um, and I think coming from Stephen Miller's point of view, there, there's also an ideological goal of actually accomplishing these things. Um, and, and we'll see how many of them stick. I mean, when you kind of turn back the clock to the, the various proposals that the Trump administration has thrown out, we've had things like the travel ban, for instance. And this was signed uh, as an executive order only about five days into President Trump's presidency. Um, and initially, you know, it was widely viewed as chaotic, uh, caused confusion in airports all over the country. Uh, people were, there were protests in the street, backlash against it. Um, then over time, I mean, it, it went through several iterations over the period of months. And uh, eventually, you know, it had actually been blocked by federal courts for the better part of a year. Um, but eventually made its way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court found the current version of the policy um, and and upheld it. So I think that, you know, that's just one test case. But when you say that a policy like the travel ban that was so controversial when it came out, uh, but it subsequently went through so many changes and iterations and eventually was found uh, constitutional by the Supreme Court, um, I think we're gonna we'll, we'll find out over time whether some of these other things that the White House is putting out there um, will hold up. Right, and 
Along those lines, I mean, on the re-election trail, the president says, finish the wall. Has any of the wall actually been built? That's a good question. I, I think it, it de- depends how you define wall, but certainly there have been uh, replacement barriers that have been built along the southwest border. And, um, you know, many of them look like a wall. If you see a picture of them, they're they're tall. Uh, they look really hard to get through. Um, <laughs> but oftentimes the design is uh, they're using pre-existing designs um, so far, I, I believe. Um, so the design will often be what they call steel bollard fence, which are just kind of these giant poles that are closely spaced together um, so that you do have visibility through them. Um, but, you know, if it's 30 feet tall and, uh, you know, ma- made of something like steel or something along those lines, you know, I, I think it's um, it can become relative whether it's whether you're talking about wall or fence. And, and you hear sometimes in interviews with pe- local people um, down on the border where they'll call it the wall or they'll call it the fence and seem to use both interchangeably. Um, now, that being said, uh, President Trump has, has come out and said mission accomplished or, or something close to that. <laughs> um, and that they're almost near building the wall. Um, <laughs> when I, I think at the time he made that statement a few months back, they had actually not built any new miles of border wall and they had only replaced existing structures. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think it's, a, it's relative to what their mission goals are. Um, some people disputed whether uh, this, this funding was needed at all. And uh, clearly, I guess uh, if the president's saying he's, he's gotten close to what he actually needs, um, you know, that, that will, you'll have to, I guess, get into his head a bit about whether he, th- you know, what's driving him to, to say that. And what I understand is, because um, that's helpful to know about that some things have actually been built, but what I understand is that the only real efforts that are happening at the present time are on existing federal DOD lands. They haven't done the heavy lifting to try to get private lands yet. Is that correct, as far as you know? That, that may be the case. Uh, I can't say definitively, but I do know that um, they were, you know, they're engaged um, in some of these, uh, the, taking the steps to potentially seize uh, different properties and different land uh, in South Texas, for instance. Um, and that while these, this process can take some time, um, ultimately, there's not a whole lot of recourse for landowners. Um, and, you know, I've spoken with folks over at the American Civil Liberties Union who have defended some of the people uh, that would like to keep their land and not have a border wall on it or not have a border wall blocking off and separating parts of their land, which is another issue um, they have. Um, But ultimately, it seems as if uh, the law really lands on the side of the federal government when it it comes to land seizures for something like this. Um, So, you know, whether it's happened quickly or not, um, maybe not, but um, it seems that if they do want to to build these sorts of things, that uh, they'll be able to go forward with it. Now, I know you've written a lot about DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, and and such. One thing that I've always wanted to clear up in the last several weeks is um, what was really happening with Homeland Security Secretary Nielsen. I mean, was she fired? Did she quit? And and overall, what's the culture at DHS like now? Well, I think you saw um, when this news came out um, on a Sunday a few weeks ago. Um, there, there were competing narratives 
um, and even among folks we were talking to um, who, who saw it both ways, I think, you know, what was clear is that there were some tensions between her and the president for some time, um, you know, dating back months. Uh, she had actually teetered uh, on the verge of handing in her resignation, which is something that we reported in Politico, um, because of Trump basically chewing her out over the rising levels of people arriving at the border. Um, and that didn't change. If anything, it actually accelerated quite a bit in recent months. And as I mentioned, uh, in March, we had the, the, one of the highest monthly levels in more than a decade, and February was the same thing. Um, so you were looking at a trend that uh, wasn't reversing itself, um, despite uh, Secretary Nielsen's best efforts to kind of walk the administration line. Um, she was out there really taking heat for what was arguably one of the most controversial Trump administration policies, which was separating families at the uh, U.S.-Mexico border for uh, about three months or so uh, last spring. And uh, that, that's something where initially she uh, didn't really appear comfortable even talking about it. Um, I can remember asking her, um, you know, can you discuss the new policy? And, and her saying um, there is no family separation policy and there is no new policy, um, even as uh, DHS was making announcements related to it, even as a, uh, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions was talking about it. Um, but she went on eventually um, to testify before Congress and discuss family separations, um, to, def to defend what they called their zero tolerance policy on cable news, um, and took all those steps. But ultimately, um, it didn't seem like enough to, uh, to satisfy President Trump. So I, I guess I'm dancing around the question of whether she resigned and whether she was fired. Um, it seemed like uh, her, her time had come within the administration, and um, she was happy to tender her resignation if, if that was what was asked. <laughs> I'd say it is a delicate dance with the uh, with this cabinet, that's for sure. Um, my last question then, I guess in an overarching way, in raw numbers, is the Trump administration succeeding in turning back immigration? I mean, is that actually the plan to have fewer foreign-born Americans per capita? You know, it's, it is a bit confusing what their plan is. I mean, President Trump has really um, endorsed one big piece of legislation since taking office, and it was something called the RAISE Act that actually would have cut legal immigration in half over 10 years, uh, which was something that um, just kind of drove away whatever allies he might have had in Congress, uh, even on the Republican side of the aisle, because they just weren't willing to... to uh, deal with legislation like that. I shouldn't say all allies. I mean, there were some senators who would have backed it, but uh, certainly not enough to, to have it advance in the Senate. Um, and, and right now, uh, in the Democrat-controlled House, it wouldn't have a chance either. Um, now, the White House is talking about um, putting forward a new proposal uh, led by uh, Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. And what exactly that will look like, um, we're still not sure. Um, I think, you know, one major piece would be, does it still cut legal immigration or does it leave levels of legal immigration about even um, and maybe redistribute visas that formerly went to family members and send them over to skilled workers in various positions? Um, and I think something like that would be much more palatable uh, to to Republicans in Congress and, and maybe even to some Democrats than the idea of, of slashing levels um, and not even telling, you know, not even explaining why exactly. Um, certainly, um, 
they weren't, you know, there's, there's no economic case to say that cutting legal immigration in half is going to help um, your country's economy. Um, for sure, it will, it will end up cutting your, your GDP. Um, and there may be other ways um, that it has detriment, detrimental effects, you know, if, if studied more closely. I think that goes to the heart of, is the president a racist or not, which I'm certainly not asking you here, but it's like, you know, do you, is, would it be okay to cut European immigration as well as, as um, South American, Central American immigration? I mean, African immigration, you know, it's, I think these are things that still have not fully been revealed. They may become more revealed in a second Trump term, but uh, I still think there's a good deal of misinformation as to well, not misinformation, but but confusion as to what what the president is really after at this point. Well, I, and I think when you see the president go out and um, what was reported by several outlets, um, kind of asking the question in a in a private meeting of why they're still giving out visas to what he called quote shithole countries um, <laughs> and refer, referring to African nations and uh, um, uh, nations of the Caribbean. Um, I, I think of course that raises that question and he should deserve to, to be asked if, if he did say that phrase, um, you know, why he might say it. Um, I think the, a different question might be the, the hard policy proposal that comes out of the white house. And um whether it does favor European nations or not and, and how it looks, um, we, we don't know yet. Um, you know, in, in the past, uh, for example, in 2013, when there was a bipartisan legislative compromise in the Senate, um, it would have increased employment visas quite a bit and, and also family visas. Um, but one of the main beneficiaries of that would have actually been uh, people coming from China and people coming from India, mm. uh, which right now are, are big senders uh, of people to the U.S. through the legal immigration system. Um, so I think there are, you know, potentially there could be changes to the visa system that, that up the categories of the people coming from those countries. And, um, you know, whether people would consider that um, to be racially motivated, I, I don't think they would. Um, but, you know, we'll remain to, again, it remains to see what, what's in the White House policy proposal, but um, it'll be closely watched. Can I ask one last thing? I know I said last question. This just truly will be the last. It's a very loaded term, and I apologize in advance to those who have problems with it. But has any movement happened on chain migration? We heard a lot about that a year or so ago, that trying to get rid of that. Has there has that changed whatsoever, or is that still intact? Sure, and well, let, let me since you, you you called it a loaded term, I'll unload it a bit. Um, I mean, I think when we say chain migration, or when the president says that, um, he's essentially talking about family-based immigration or extended family uh, immigration. Um, and I think there have been talks in the past. It, it had there have been um, congressional talks about potentially cutting visas that had gone to say siblings of someone and re reallocating them in a different way. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily new. I think when you heard the president's rhetoric of uh, calling it chain migration and implying that uh, people are bringing in uh, dozens of their relatives or, or large numbers of relatives um, who are maybe becoming an economic drain, I think, you know, that's where the misinformation really comes into play. Um, now, in a legislative bill, could there be a trade-off where um, visas that go to, say, nieces and nephews are eliminated and they instead add visas that go to computer programmers? Um, that's entirely possible. 
uh, I think. But, uh, you know, I, I think, um, are there changes already? If you're asking, are there changes happening now to those visas that are going to extended relatives? Um, it doesn't seem to be the case, but, um, you know, certainly something that could always be considered in, in a broader immigration compromise. Excellent. Well, Ted Hessen is the immigration and employment reporter at Politico and Politico Pro. You can check out his writings every week, every few days on those platforms. And I thank you very much for this spirited discussion on the Nexus. Thanks so much for having me. Immigration is one hot button issue the president hopes will carry him in 2020. As Ted Hessen just noted, there are actually much more complexity to it than may be perceived, depending on the media source you follow. And there are several other issues I'd like to know the, quote, truth about, and in future installments of the Nexus, look out for those types of discussions. For example, is the trade war with China actually helping or hurting the United States? It would seem like prices are going up in this country, But is some eventual greater good of China being brought to its knees being achieved? The jury is still out on that one, in my opinion. If the trade war is going to make things more difficult for farmers and sow the seeds of discontent among Trump's base, that means it should hurt the president, right? Then again, isn't China our collective enemy and that means we should all be rallying behind the president to fight them? So many questions. One could say that President Trump has the cojones that presidents before him didn't have in taking on China for their constant currency manipulation and defrauding our economy. Others would say that Trump's bull-in-a-China-shop persona, no pun intended, is what's causing them grief and worry about his approach to China. They say, what if Trump goes too far with China, causing them to come after us? If that's the case, What can they do? Do they need us more than we need them? How will iPhones get produced anyway? That's the real question. In any case, the trade war is one issue that will be explored in future episodes. Is it keeping Americans up at night? Is immigration? Or are these two made up issues by President Trump to gin up support among his base? These are questions that must be pursued. And that's our show. The Nexus is recorded in Washington and is produced by Colin Martin. If you like this episode, please feel free to share it far and wide. We'll see you next time and be well.